Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. <laughs> Good morning, Grace Bible Church. How are we doing? Good morning, Church Online. We're so glad you could join us this morning. Uh, we're glad. I hope you're enjoying your living room or wherever you are, meeting with other people, enjoying the sermon this morning. Glad you could tune in for worship. Everyone else in the building, how are we feeling? Good. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. Are you? Me too. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all got to tell y'all's faces that. But you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> thank you, worship team and Dave and all y'all for leading us up in worship. Truly thankful for an amazing worship pastor who really takes the time uh, to not just um, pick a couple songs, come up there and perform them well, but he really lives it um, and really preaches the gospel and really uses uh, the time that God has given him to truly bring glory to him um, and not to himself. So thank you, Dave. Shout out to you. Glad you're here. We love you. He paid me to say that. All right. Expect my five bucks. Anyways, hey, this morning we're going to start uh, on our series that Dustin had mentioned to. We'll continue in our series um, called Say What? Say What? Um, as we're talking, that's what we're going to do. Say what? You know what I'm saying? Uh, as we continue to talk to some terms and some words in Christianity that we hear, that we sing, and that we don't often always understand. So our goal here is to bring clarity, hopefully not to cloud up anything. But good news for you is, me and Dewey, we're some bright individuals, but we're not the brightest individuals. So we can do it, you can do it, um, but seriously, we're super excited this morning. As we're going to tackle a couple words, our first uh, phrase actually will be uh, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And hopefully in your mind you go, oh, I already know what that means. But if you're like me and most people for most of my life, I said, what does that actually mean? Well, hopefully you walk away here understanding and encouraged as well as we'll discuss the term holy. What does it mean to be holy? What does God mean by the word holy? How do I be holy? Um, and kind of walk away hopefully encouraged from that. Um, my name is Etienne Doucette. I am the student life pastor. This is Dewey Lehman. He is one of our elders. Um, he is incredible. One of my um, close friends. I enjoy getting to do life with him. I'm so encouraged by him. Um, and we're really excited to hear from us this morning as we get to be our new title, The Righteous Brothers. We'll get to that later. Yeah. That's what we got after the last service. So we got a text after the last service, so hopefully we can make that, trademark that, and make it a thing. So the phrase we're going to talk about today is, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And some of you say, say what? Some <laughs> say of you, what? There, that's better. I can't get there. I got you. Appreciate that. I'll just cue you whenever that <laughs> has to come up. Like that easy button you hit, like that was easy. You just point over it all. <laughs> say what? <laughs> But some of you this morning, as Dave was singing that song, I am the righteousness of God. For some of you, that made you sit there and think a little bit. Some of you might have made you cringe. Some of you might have said, yeah, that's right, that's me. Sure am. Because righteous, outside of the church setting, it's not a really a word that we hear too much anymore. I mean, people just don't use that word anymore. So we're going to see just what kind of crowd we got here this morning. How many of you remember the Righteous Brothers? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. You've I have no it. idea who that is. Yeah, see, he, I still don't know who it is, and this is the second service. So, If I had Dave up here singing it, you've lost that love Do you know feeling. the Righteous Brothers, Dave? All right, Dewey, how about you sing it for us? I Go ahead. Do it. You don't know that song either? You've lost that love and feeling? Okay, 
A lot of you don't know that that was a song before Tom Cruise sang it in Top Gun. Oh, Top Gun. I've seen yeah. Top Gun. That's a good movie. Okay, now you're with me? Now I know Top okay, Gun. Okay, now we got Dave. You didn't see Top Gun either. Oh. Okay, so that was last time we heard from the Righteous Brothers, but they were actually in the 60s. Some of you remember back there during high school, you were, uh, I got to see some head shaking. Friday Night Hop, that was time to go find your sweetheart. Yeah, that was good music. Still is. He asked me last time, when was that popular? I said it still is. Righteousness, we don't hear that anymore. We fast forward, some of you remember when that was the phrase, people said, man, that dude's righteous. They had no idea what they were saying. They pretty much meant that dude was cool. And I think if we hear righteous anymore, we hear it attached to another word in a negative tone. Those folks over there, they're self-righteous. That's how we hear it these days. If they're going to use that word, that's what they they say, they're self-righteous. And sometimes they're talking about church folks, right? Or they'll use another term, holier than thou. Those folks think that they're holier than thou. So when we hear this phrase, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we have to know what that means. We have to know exactly what that means. Uh, Dustin, last week, he was talking about that, the huge gap between a holy and righteous God and us, sinful man, unrighteous in every single way. So let me just throw out the definition from the dictionary, what it says. Righteousness, the quality of being, being morally right or justified. Upright, goodness, right in conduct with relationships. You hear some people say sometime you better be right with God. That's righteousness. But guess what? That's something that you can't do on your own. You can't produce that on your own. That comes through our faith in Jesus, and God passed it through him to us, so we are the righteousness of God, and we can sing that boldly, and that's what we hope today to get you to be able to understand that that's exactly who you are. Because when we talk about that gap that Dustin talked about, we are unrighteous in every way. That's a huge problem if we are unrighteous. Because 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's scary. That's a problem. But we have an all-loving God who desperately wants to have a relationship with you. So how does God handle that? Yeah, and I I believe that's so important that we start with just understanding uh, that term is, you know, what it means for what it is to be morally right, to be good, to be just. Um, and then we're reminded in God's word where he's like, even your good deeds are like filthy rags. And, and, and when I compare those things to my life and how I often view life, um, it really kind of gives me a distorted view of what the righteousness of Christ means. Because uh, it's less of an action and more of an identity. Um, it's more about what's been done and less what I do. Um, I can't be more righteous. Um, I've already been made righteous. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that because many of you, I actually had a lady after the service stop by and we were having a great conversation, giving me some good some tips and pointers, but also just encouraging me. It was awesome and amazing and I appreciated that big time. I love when, when people get to encourage us. It really is worth it. Also enjoy good criticism. Good criticism. Good criticism. You know what I'm saying? We know what you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you can do Yeah, whatever. Anyways, good criticism. And it, the cool part about the moment was she shared with me. She said, let me tell you how God answered me in real time. I'm like, tell me. I'm ready to hear it. And she says, I'm singing this song thinking, what does it mean to be the righteousness of God? The righteousness. What does that mean? And she goes, lo and behold, 
There you guys are, up there talking about the righteousness of God. So it's, it's a good reminder to us that as a Christian, many of us have heard these terms and may not fully understand them. Or maybe this is a, you're not a Christian yet, you're not yet a believer in Christ, and maybe this is new to you and you're going, okay, these are some lofty words. Um, well, the whole point is here, we want to take this Christianese and make it part of something that we ought to say. We ought to use these words. These are powerful, deeply rooted words that are very intentional and they're set apart. That's why I think righteousness is a word that we don't use to get a lot in today's world because it's not very um, common that you would, again, identify someone as righteous. Like, I remember watching um, Disney Channel growing up and there's this movie, and I don't remember it now, like it's, it's Johnny Tsunami. That's right. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. Johnny Tsunami was like this cool skateboarder surfer dude back in like the 90s and his hair like did the cool thing. You know what I'm saying? And he was cool. And he'd be like, righteous, you know what I'm saying? It was like gnarly, whatever. And it was kind of, that's where I would heard the term righteous until I really stopped to understand what it meant to be the righteousness of Christ. And we hope to get you there. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Uh, we're going to spend a moment here um, and just kind of like help you to understand and unpack what this means for us and how we live in light of this truth. So it'll also be on the screen if you don't have your, you don't have your Bible on you or you can't flip fast. That's okay. Don't panic. Um, here we go. Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. First and foremost, we have to understand that he who knew no sin became sin. When Jesus came to live in this world, he didn't just come to just die for sin so that, you know, we could just be free and everything's good. He died for sin and paid the ultimate price, right? Not just doing that so that we could experience eternal life, but we can experience and become the righteousness of Christ while we're here. Many times we treat uh, God is like fire insurance for like, oh, well, now that I believe, I get to go to heaven. Thank God. Well, here's the good news. You don't get to just go to heaven when you die. You get to experience Jesus while you're here. You get to be the very righteousness of Christ. You get to put on that identity. And, and this is disorienting for me. Anyone else feel like disoriented by this idea? Because this is what this idea tells me. This tells me, or not the idea, this truth. This truth tells me that because of what Jesus has done, I am already the righteousness of Christ. I have already made righteous. He put his treasure in jars of clay. The Holy Spirit lives within me. Okay, so this, is, this whole concept is disorienting because my whole life I had been taught that if I want something, I have to earn it. i got to work for it. Prime example, who, uh, who in here is an elementary school teacher? Bless your heart. Who in here is a middle school teacher? Middle school teacher. Double bless your heart. You are a special breed. You have a special place in heaven, I promise you. I love middle schoolers a lot, maybe because we think alike. I love middle schoolers, but that's a tough age, all right? Well, I remember in elementary school, um, I was in my second grade class, Miss Trammell. Never forget her. She was great. She was one of my favorite teachers of all time, and she wore the craziest outfits, but she was funny. She was cool. She loved me, and I appreciated that. She had this wall where if you did good things, you got a green. Your card was green, right? Like green, yellow, red. You know what I'm talking about? Just like the stoplights. Um, the, the goal was to have a green card by the end of the day. If you have all the green all the way through the week, like you had go all the way through the week, at the end of the week, you get to get in a treasure box, which now I realize was just like a bunch of dollar store little trinkets, okay, that broke a day later. But I'll tell you what, in the moment, that was like the holy grail of what I was trying to accomplish. And I remember that me, the, the bright, amazing young man I was, spent a lot of time on red, all right? Red meant, red meant 
that you got a phone call to your mommy and daddy, and after a couple weeks of red, there's a, there's a parent-teacher conference. It gets weird. Uh, but I remember that I spent a lot of time in red. But what I had thought and what I had been taught in that time was at a young age, I was taught if I do good things, then I get something. If I do bad things, then I am punished, which is a good and right concept, right? Like we should, there are accountability to our actions, but that bleeds into my relationship with Jesus. Because let me put the ball in your court. Many of you feel and believe that you've been taught that when you work hard in your job, you put in the overtime, you, you gain knowledge, you get a promotion, you get a raise, or you, you deserve one, right? That's how we've been taught. When you do very poorly at your job, they fire you, hopefully, or not hopefully, I don't know. Don't do bad at your job, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what we've been taught that based on how we perform decides what we receive we have to understand that to be the righteousness of Christ we have to stop and reflect and realize it's all based on what's been done not what I do meaning the becoming the righteousness of Christ is an identity not a performance-based title that you may or may not earn the minute you cross from death to life especially church at home the minute you cross from death to life you have become the righteousness of Christ. And that does not change regardless about how you feel about it. And here's the thing. Many of us struggle with that, I think. And I think we have a good sense of what righteousness means. But let me just give you some examples that you may be righteous in your own light. Meaning your own sense of righteousness. A lot of times you may, you may give, let me give you some ideas. I actually saw this in a book and it was pretty good. So I had to steal it. You may be, you may have the d- discipline righteousness. It's where you're so self-disciplined that you like, you think you're a little better than everyone else, right? Let me tell you something. There's, I, I'm on social media a lot, and you all are too. Don't act like you're not. I see you all on Facebook, Instagram a lot. Y'all be adding me all the time, and I'll be listening to all your cool posts, seeing all your grandkids. They're cute. I love to see it. Um, and here's the deal. You get, you get on social media. Oh, dude, I just, whatever. Right. You get on social media, and you always see somebody get on there. This is what they do on their story. They say, What's up? It's 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm out here grinding at the gym, lifting some weight. If you're sleeping, you're losing. I'm like, whoa, calm down there, buddy. When did sleep deprivation become an accomplishment? Okay? I'm like, I like to sleep. I don't want to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning. But you're like, I'm disciplined, so that makes me a little bit better than everyone around me that's not. Or maybe you got the family righteousness, right? You may not realize you have this, but many of you do. Some of you are blessed to sit across the table from some amazing kids. Or many of you are raised or have been able to raise great kids who are having, grand, you're having your grandkids or your great-grandkids. And you're getting to witness that. And many times we'll sit at a table and think, man, at least we're not like that family. At least I don't let my kids out till 2 o'clock in the morning. At least I don't have a pregnant teenager. At least my kids are all never been to jail. And we, we get this sense of self-righteousness that because I'm such a good parent, such a good grandparent, such a good aunt, such a good aunt, uncle, these are the results. Or maybe you have a theological righteousness. What does that mean? You're sitting in these chairs right now looking at these two guys up here and you're thinking, well, I can't believe that they would use that verse. I would have used this. Or I'm way more qualified to teach that than they are because I know the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Chinese. I'm like, you probably do. All right. But look who's up here, the 26-year-old. Got him. Um, no, it's, it's a reminder to us that maybe you've, you've developed this sense of righteousness where you feel like because of what I know, I am more valued than those around me who know less. And you become to become self-righteous. A couple more for you. Maybe you're legalistic righteous, right? 
Maybe you're the person who feels like you're the better Christian because you go to every church service, you go to every Bible study, you volunteer your time, you donate to the poor, you make sure that you do everything in your power to be as legalistically righteous as possible, and you put your eggs in these baskets, and you start to say, as long as I'm better than the people around me, then I must be doing good. And we have to understand that that is not something that comes from God, and that does not come from our our, our identity in the righteousness of Christ. That comes in our identity of our self-righteousness, which is something I think that a lot of us struggle with more than we realize. And it really is the counter, the opposite of what it means to, to be aware of being the righteousness of Christ is being self-righteous. And it actually, instead of ministering to people, it actually puts people off. Because yeah. they start to see those posts on Facebook and all that, and they start comparing their lives to that, and they say, that's not me. My family's not like that. Well, the thing is, you're comparing your life to their highlight reel, okay? They're not putting the bad things on there that happen, only the good things. Some of y'all do, and y'all need to stop. Don't put the bad things on there. <laughs> you know, they can be arguing one minute, and hold on, we're going to take a picture in front of the beach here, and everybody's smiling, and then go right back to it. They don't even want to talk to each other. And this is what you're comparing your life to. And yet when they come across, they put out that they've got it all figured out. On their own, they've got this figured out, and that's how they live. Or they can keep all the law. Well, we know that's not true, or Jesus wouldn't have to come for us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in the flesh, as we start to get things figured out, we do start to become self-righteous. We start to think, I am accomplished in this area, and we actually think for a moment that we are doing it. Even church people, you believe that? Even church folks, even me. I start to think, I've got this area under control, so now I can move to here, when I need to be leaning into Jesus the whole time. I've read this in a book that I stole also. It says, whenever we find a, self, a sense of self-righteousness, we are not resting in the righteousness that comes through Jesus. We're tempted to use those around us as a measuring stick instead of God. Everything that he just said. We start to say, as long as I'm better than this guy, I'm doing pretty good. Hey, say that again. That's good. Like, that's, if you didn't hear that, like, really hear this, like, these words. Like, I think this is more common than not. Whenever we find a sense of self-righteousness... We are not resting in the righteousness that comes through Jesus. Resting. Do you get that? It's so much work to try to be self-righteous, to try to make sure you got all your ducks in a row and everybody sees, oh, that's a righteous person. That's so much work when we can rest in the finished work of Jesus, what he did on the cross. When he said, it is finished. He didn't say, you need to add this to it. You need to do these rhythms, these rituals in order to be righteous. But because of what he did, you're already righteous. And then when we become self-righteous, we start thinking that we're better than other people, and then we start to talk about other people. We start to boast in ourselves. And how does that usually start? Well, I'm not trying to brag, but guess, you know, here's what I did, right? Or I'm not trying to talk about anybody. I don't think I'm better than them, but this, we put that disclaimer at the front, right? The result is the same. We're still talking about these people, or we're still bragging in ourselves, but we put a disclaimer, and somehow that makes it all right. But you know, wise old Solomon, he, he says several times, there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus dealt with this back in the day. And I want to read something to you that, that he said. Uh, Luke 18, starting in verse 9. It's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He says, from the beginning, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says this, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Here's what I do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Pay attention to this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This guy was so caught up in himself that all of his righteousness was coming from things that he did. That he was able to, in prayer, say, God, the all-knowing God, he's telling him, look what I'm doing. I'm paying my tithes. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. He's praying this to an all-knowing God, telling him that. And then he's so full of himself, he says, not like this guy. (laughs) And this guy in the back knew he was a sinner. God have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. He, He wouldn't even look up. He wouldn't even look up. He knew what his standing was before God. And Jesus said, you want to exalt yourself? I will humble you. Yeah, and I think that's, that before to interrupt just for a second is, it kind of reminds me of when we talk about this righteousness and self-righteousness. Um, and I, I know you got a cool story, story to kind of share before we get there. Like, it, it reminds me this, that more, like, more than likely most of us in this room, and I would argue that, most of us in this room struggle more in the sense of feeling like um, this tax collector, right, who is kind of more in the sense of like, hey, I'm just a sinner. I, I just need some grace. I just need your love. That's all I need. Like, I, I know that I'm a mess. I know that I'm not qualified. I know that I'm not good enough. Um, and I'm aware of that. And I think we have some sort of astute self-awareness where we're able to identify um, most days, right, that we are broken, that we are fallen. But like we have to, we have to be reminded of becoming the righteous of Christ is the identity now. This is who we are. This is not just what we do when we feel like it. Because most of us may wake up and look in the mirror, and you don't think and look and go, "Man, I feel really, I feel really righteous today." Most likely, you don't do that. If you do, kudos to you. Like that's the kind of righteousness we need. We need the, we need the, we need the ability to preach the gospel to ourselves in such a way that we believe that we are the truth that God says about us because the enemy wants to convince you that you are not he wants to convince you that you cannot walk in this identity because you are not good enough and you're not doing enough stuff so you wake up the next day you try to do as many good things as you can you hand five dollars to the homeless guy you hold the door for someone and you do all these self-righteous things thinking that those are what really set the heart of God on fire. And no, there's not an issue with good deeds because we know that God's word says that he prepared good deeds for us to do. But we don't operate for our righteousness. We operate from it. Meaning, I do good things because of what's been done. I don't do good things to earn what's been done. I can't earn God's love. I can't earn his gift. I can't earn salvation. I can't earn them no matter how hard I try. Because even the best things I do are like filthy rags. But we have to remember, if you're in your new, you realize that you have to start to realize that becoming the righteousness of Christ is something that's already been done when you came and crossed from death to life. When you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Last week when Dustin was given the gospel, if you believe that to be truth, hear me. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are. Not you might be. Not you hope to be. You're not growing into the righteousness of Christ. You are. You've already been made that. That is an identity. That is what you are, not what you hope to be. 
And I want you to hear that because that's really hard in a world where we have to earn things. And that's what we want to harp on here is like, if you don't necessarily feel and believe that all the time, that's okay, but it doesn't change that it's true. So some days you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror and say, God, I can't be any better to earn it. I just need to believe it. And once you start to believe that you are the righteousness of Christ, then the actions come from a place of, God, I'm a hot mess and I love you and I just want to spend time with you and I want to be the best I can be for you, not because I need to earn your good graces, but because I'm so blessed to know that you've saved me from the deepest, deepest parts. And I'm thankful for that. And Dewey kind of gets to experience some cool, cool ways in that all the time. And, and your ac anything. actions, the things that you do come out of that thankfulness. Because yeah. I'm convinced until you realize the weight and the depth of your sin, you'll never fully appreciate grace and mercy. You'll never appreciate that. Dustin said something last week, and I've never heard it say this way before, and I just felt the overwhelming weight of it. And he was talking about, you know, we're no longer sinners. That's no longer our identity, but we're saints that sometimes sin. Yeah. But when he talked about the gap, about how far apart we were from God, mm. he talked about that, and he said this. He said, you know, we, it rolls off of our tongue. We've been forgiven of our sins. We even say forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. But he said it a different, different way, and it knocked me off my feet. He said, it's not a culmination of your sin, but it's each and every one of your sins. Yeah. That's a totally different way to look at it. That doesn't roll off the tongue so well when you start to say each and every one of your sins you've been forgiven for. And once you realize that weight and what you've been forgiven, and that you can actually sing that with boldness that I am the righteousness of God, out of thankfulness, those good things will happen. Those good relationships, those righteous relationships will happen. We can't forget where we came from. We can't forget what we were saved from. We weren't saved to be a better person. We were taken from death to life. We were dead in our trespasses. God freed us from that by sending the son on the cross, and now we're free from sin. We're no longer in bondage to that. And if we forget that, we start to become self-righteous. Then we start talking about other people. We start not, it just starts as a little bit, right? I'm not trying to brag. And then the next thing, it's a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. We remember in 1 John 1, 8, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I love this church. I've been coming to this church since 2007. And there are some awesome, loving, giving people in this church. Yeah. Some absolutely awesome absolutely. people. But I tell you the truth, there's not a single one of us who should not humble himself before God and pray that prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Not a single one. And I want you to know on the other side of that, there's not a person in here who has done so many bad things, who feels that they are such a bad person, who has such a terrible past, that can't pray that same prayer with a repentant heart, and God will forgive them. God doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about your past. He wants to give you a future that only comes through belief in him. Repentance and belief in him. That's what he wants you to have. Dustin talked about it last week. Our sin, our transgressions are cast as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that beautiful? East is from the west. I had a pastor tell me one time, you know why he didn't say north from south? Because one of us in our infinite wisdom would have tried to figure out how far that is. I mean, they know. I'd go to the North Pole and see Santa Claus. Right. I'd be like, say, that's the north. This is the distance. This is how far my sin is. Or if he says east is the west, if I keep walking east, when does it become west? Yeah. That's how far they've been. They're removed. My sin is dead and gone. We love singing that, right? 
My sin is dead and gone. I am the righteousness of God. We should sing both of those with boldness. We cannot lose that awe of the gospel. Pastor Dave, Pastor Dustin, they talked about that conference that they were at and being stunned, right, by the truth of the gospel. We worship what we are stunned by. And I watched Pastor Dustin last week as he explained the gospel, and I heard him kept saying, folks, this is good news. This is good news. And I'd see, yep, that's right, preacher man. Preach it. That's good. We're not stunned by it any longer. We keep hearing it, and you're going to keep hearing it. We're going to keep preaching it. That's what this whole series is about, because you keep hearing about the gospel. We want to make sure we understand who you are because of what Jesus did. But when we hear so much, are we still stunned by it? Because I tell you, as, as great as Dustin preaches a message here, I have the privilege, I get to listen to the pastors, the abide pastors, when they come out to the prison, and they're preaching in front of the prisoners. And let me tell you something, when they tell them it's good news and you can be forgiven, the place comes alive. The place comes alive. Because you know what? They know they're sinners. They are reminded of their sin every day when they get up out of bed. And those who have chosen to abandon that, repent of their sins, and submit their lives to God, they still get up every morning and remind them because of where they are and what they're doing that they're still sinners. So when a pastor comes in and starts preaching these truths to them, they come alive. You'll see grown men, tough men, somebody you don't want to run into an alley with tears just running down their face. Running down their face. We had a guy come in, I don't know, about a month ago, and he explained what God, what Jesus does for us through him breaking a horse, how we're that wild horse, and then he, he transforms us through belief in him and belief in the gospel, and all of a sudden we become tame to the message, to the truths of the gospel. And when I look over there in the section as we're clearing everything off of the yard and I see a known tough-as-nails gangbanger on his knees with tears and snot just running out of his nose and a pastor over him because for the first time, he heard and understood the message of forgiveness. Guess what? He was stunned by it. And if you come this week, he's still stunned by it. And every time he hears all that crap in his life is forgiven, he's stunned by it and he worships it. That's the difference. We can't forget where we came from. We can't forget what we were saved from. We can't forget we went from death to life. But how do I do that, do we? I'm like you, sometimes I get up in the morning, I go to brush my teeth and I look at myself in the mirror. I don't feel righteous. Yeah. I don't feel holy. That's when I got to start preaching what is true of the gospel of me. That's when I got to start figuring out what my identity is because all those thoughts coming in my head reminded me of my past, reminded me what I did yesterday, what I might do today. Those are all those fiery darts coming from the devil. I got to put on that, the full armor of God. I got no reason to be righteous in my own but I have every reason to be righteous because of my faith in Jesus Christ. What God has done through his son for a sinner like me. Yeah. And, and that's, that's this whole idea and concept of the righteousness of Christ is I hope you're hearing and understanding the root here and it is that you have really nothing to do with it. Like there, there's not something you magically earned or worked for. And as, as I heard that story with Dewey talking about the people in prison and the things like that, I, I remember last week being here, hearing the gospel. Um, and I grew up um, in church uh, for mo most of my life. Um, and I remember that I didn't understand 
grace and the righteous Christ and the power of the gospel fully um, until I was a little bit older. But I remember growing up and like, like you've heard before, like I felt like I had to walk and say the prayer and give my life to Christ every time. But I realized something as I grew older. It wasn't that every time I, my heart started to break and tears started to flow from my eyes was it that I needed to go get saved again. It was a reminder to me of just simply the humbling, amazing, great price that was paid for me. My, my standing with God did not need to be made right. I just was reminded of the beauty of it he was reminding me you are my child that I paid a great price for and I love you I love you today the same today that I did yesterday Romans tells us that while we were still enemies yet Christ died for us while we were his enemies he died for us and I think that's the beauty of, of this term and, and it rolls us right perfectly into this 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 next word is holy right and I think holy is such an interesting word because we do, we hear this word a lot more often than, than self-righteousness or righteousness or righteous or whatever. We hear the word holy a lot more. In fact, there's been like two really popular songs by Florida Georgia Line called Holy and a song, um, Justin Bieber called Holy. Uh, you never heard them. You're not missing nothing. They're not Christian. Trust me. Uh, their idea of holy is a little different. Um, but... It is, it's still a term that we hear. And so you, you've heard this term before. In fact, like Dury said earlier, a lot of times we hear like, oh, you're, you're so holy or you're holier than thou. Um, me and my friends will joke all the time. You know, you do something good, you're like, wow, you're so holy. You know, and it's like it's a reminder to us that we use this term as a works-based uh, works item. But in reality, if you go to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11, which we'll get there in just a second, the word holy um, is actually hagias. Um, it's a Greek for it. I learned that. Thank you. Um, it means to be set apart. That's what it means. The word holy means to be set apart. And the thing about this definition is you need to understand that you are holy. It means that you've been set apart by God for God's purpose to be used where you work, live, and play. Now that you understand the love of God and what he's done for you, you are holy. It is in your, it is your DNA now. It is who you are. You are a new creation. You are a holy being, though you may not always feel it. It kind of reminds me of this. This is the best way I think of being set apart, okay? All right. So I don't know about y'all, but most of y'all, you know, maybe had your grandma or your mom, depending on like the age different, generational difference. Uh, maybe some of you have like uh, your great grandma or whoever it may be. They have something in their house that is very holy, okay? And even as a kid, I understood the magnitude of the Holy Grail that was this big brown hutch that would sit in the spare living room, whatever you call it, the extra living room where you don't actually sit, it's just chairs and weird, I don't know. And I remember in this hutch was this thing we called... China. And it's the fine China. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's in here has fine China in their house right now? Who in here has knows what I'm talking about your grandma, your mom, or whoever had it? Okay. So I remember my grandma having this fine China, and there were rules in my house, all right, when we go to grandma's house. I, I had some brothers, and we were very, um, I don't know, rambunctious and destructive and wild, and we like to wrestle all the way through the house and throw balls and tennis balls and Nerf guns, whatever we could do in the house that could potentially break something, we did it. But can I tell you something? We knew there was one in the house that we didn't even attempt to do anything crazy and in fact this holy grail hutch that was in my grandmother's living room area we didn't go within five feet of it because this stuff was preached from her that it was so valued that she loved it and if we touched it she was going to hurt us okay like if she was like her words if you break this I'm gonna break you okay and I tell you what she did not spare the rod you know what I'm saying so she she 
We had the fear of us, like we knew not to mess with that. And when I think of this idea of holiness or set apart, this is what I think of. That china is just plates and bowls and cups, but it's been set apart for a specific purpose, meaning it had great value. Did it do any different job than the, the paper plates in the cupboard? No, I could still, I prefer to get on a paper plate. It's less dishes for me. In fact, it's more convenient. But here's the deal. These, this china, this equipment, this fine thing that was created for a purpose is now set apart for a different purpose. Meaning, I remember when my grandmother used it for Thanksgiving. It was a big deal. I remember the, the few instances where we would have, if my little sister, when she was young, would have tea, tea in the teacups with my grandmother. And those moments were specially set apart because there was added value to them. Hear me when I say this. You are God's chosen people set apart. And we're going to read about that in 1 Peter. 1 Peter says, and 9 says, But you are, not you might be, not sometimes. So hear that. He says, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood and a holy nation. A people of his own possession. You are his. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved i got to stop there for a second with that word beloved because honestly, many times in God's word when he's addressing his people and I feel like he just wants you to understand the full magnitude, he uses the term beloved. And I love the term so much because the only thing I think about immediately when I think of beloved is I think of my wife. I think about how much I love my wife and I desire to be around Abigail and I desire to be in communion with Abigail. I, I, when, I, when something cool happens in my life, she's the one i got to call and tell about it. Or when I make a really poor choice and do something crazy and hurt myself, she's the first person I need to call. I'm like, hey, I might have broke something. When I think of the term beloved, I think of my, my God longs to be with me and spend time with me and to get my attention. My God loves me more than I could ever understand. And I've I just, every time I hear that word, I got to stop. And he says, verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage wars against your soul. Let me stop here for a second. We think about the term holy. This is not you attempting to be holier because the holier you are, the better off you are. No, holiness and being holy is who you are. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. That is who you are. You have to walk in that and believe that. You don't get to prove yourself to be holier by what you do. It's been done. You are that. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves and remind us that that's who we are. We are not the things of the past. When he says that we need to abstain from the things, we need to flee from the things of this flesh, this is what I think of. You guys ever watch cops? Listen, when the word flee, when they say someone's fleeing, do you see the guy going like this? I'm running away. See ya. You're never going to catch me. Right now, no, he's like running and they're diving into bushes. They're jumping over fences like crazy parkour stuff. You're like, I never knew everyone and their mom is so athletic. But this guy's like going nuts. He's going crazy. He's running for his life. He's fleeing as fast and as hard as he can. He wants to get away. And the reason why he tells us to flee is not because he's going to be disappointed in you and he's going to remove your holiness when you let him down. He's saying, guess what? I've seen what those things have done for you and it's led you to me. Remember, once you drink from me, 
you will thirst for some, nothing anymore. Amen. He says, you once were an alcoholic. You once did cheat all the time. You once did lie all the time. You once were angry all the time. But you no longer have to walk in that because I give you this Christ identity that gives you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. When I give you my spirit, I give you everything you need to rest in my righteousness. And you are now holy. That is who you are, not who you hope to be. He says, now that you walk in it, I'm going to tell you to flee because there's going to be temptations in your life where you're going to want to go back to the very things to meet some needs that are not legitimate needs. You're going to try to meet some needs that can only be met by Christ. He's going to say, you are holy. You are a royal priesthood. You are my child. And though you may try to run, though you may make poor decisions, I don't love you any less. You are still the righteousness of Christ. You are still holy. Because when you crossed from death to life, you became mine. You're my people. You are my beloved. And I love you. And that will never change. He tells you to flee because he says, I know that when you turn to the things of this world, it's going to lead to more brokenness. It's not going to give you life. He doesn't say it because if you do it too many times, he's going to wipe you clean and, and, and cross your name out in the book because you did too many wrong things. He says it because he says you no longer live in that identity. You no longer live in that world. You are holy. That's why he tells you you are holy. The world's taught us to think that we need to act holy and be holy. And it's not about a performance issue. It's really an identity, identity. issue. Identity. And those verses that he just read, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11, in my Bible, I've got you circled. Nine times in there, you shows up and I've circled it. It tells you who you are. You hear us up here a lot of times say that you need to preach the truth of the gospel to yourself first thing in the morning. This is a real good place to do that. In the morning when you're not feeling holy, when you're not feeling righteousness, when you don't feel like that's you, you have to preach what is true because of what Jesus did. Because God loved you so much, he sent his son to die on a cross. Now this is you. You can't earn it. You can't add to it. There's nothing you can do. And verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh. Everything he was just talking about where you try to get your needs met, sojourners means we're travelers. Folks, we're just passing through. This is not it. We are promised so much more. So these things that we try to find to fulfill what only Jesus can fulfill, they're nothing. They're going to pass away too. We are traveling. This is not it. We have eternal life because of what Jesus did. I want you to be able, if you don't hear anything else we said today, the next time Pastor Dave has that song up there, I want you to stand tall when you sing, I am the righteousness of God, because that's who you are. Not because of anything you did, but because of everything Jesus did. And I want you to rest in that. Pray with me. Father God, we love you. We love you so much. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, the price that was paid for us, because we could never bridge the gap, God, but you gave freely at such a great cost. God, you stepped out of the beauty and the comfort and the, the bliss of heaven to enter this world as a man, to live a life that we can never live, to fulfill the law that we can never measure up to, God. And you didn't just do it so that we could go to heaven with you and hang out with you for eternity, God, but you did it so that we could walk in this life as the very righteousness of Christ, that we could walk through life as holy, not as a self-arrogant posture, but as a posture of knowing that you are God, you are king, and we are who we are because of you, not because of us. Guard our hearts from self-righteousness. Guard our hearts from thinking that we are better than thou. I never want to be the guy in Luke 18 who says, but God, look at all the good things I do. Why, 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 would, you, why would you even look at somebody? That person doesn't even 
The thief on the cross didn't even deserve your love. He did it in the last minute. I, I've been following you for my whole life. You mean he gets the same reward? Help us come from a posture of understanding and knowing that you are good and you are gracious. Your grace is sufficient. Your mercy is sufficient. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are your people. We are your beloved. And you love us so much. Oh God, I pray as we sing that song again in the future, God, like Dewey said, we can stand tall to know that that is who we are, not who we hope to be. Even when we don't act like it, it doesn't change who we are. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.